put in a lot of practice, and uh, I appreciate their their hard work. Um, this morning, we're going to continue in our series called Into the Wild, and uh, if you've got your Bible, we're going to go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going, and that's where we're just going to hang out today, John chapter 4, so you don't have to turn anywhere else, really. Um, we started this series a few weeks ago, and uh, we've looked at how at God's wild presence, God's wild provision, uh, as, as God is stepping into our life, that uh, sometimes it may seem awkward, sometimes uh, it may create some tension, uh, because it forces us uh, to confront things, it forces us to be honest about things, and so uh, this morning we're going to continue in this series, Into the Wild, we're going to wrap it up next week. Um, and uh, but today we're going to John chapter four. Now there is a list that um, Pastor Trent has on his phone, and this list I have never actually seen this list, but I have actually I am the creator of this list, uh, but I am not privy to the list. Um, it's actually been shared apparently with the rest of the staff except for me. Uh, I am I am not on this shared list, and on this list are things that I have said over the last three years. Phrases that I use, things that are just strange or weird or funny, right? And, and so sometimes uh, they'll just kind of look at each other and they'll say, that's going on the list, right? And so this list has been growing. Like I said, I've never seen this list, but I have started this list, apparently. Uh, but there are some things, I, I think, that I have said that, uh, you know, maybe some of you guys have heard before. Surely some of you guys have heard some of these things before. Uh, like a calf staring at a new gate. Anybody? No. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe it's not. Hotter than Satan's armpit. Okay. Yes. I wouldn't vote for him for dog catcher, right? You just don't like somebody, said, so I wouldn't vote for him for dog catcher. Uh, as crazy as a runover dog? No, nobody's heard that one, all right? As nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs? Yep, okay, yep, all right. Uh, and, and you, you know, these are just things, <laughs> these are just things that, that, that are said. And sometimes you wonder when somebody says that, what does that even mean? Right, have you ever wondered that? What does that even mean? And, and so we know this one. Uh, you've heard this one said before. You're just on a wild goose chase, right? And, and, and we've, we kind of understand that. It's, it's like a, uh, uh, an errand that's not going to get completed, right? It's like a snipe hunt. Anybody ever been snipe hunting, right? How many of you have never, never been snipe hunting? Raise your hand. Oh, Okay. Somebody needs to take them snipe hunting then, all right? So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> all right. But, uh, you know, you, you, you have these sayings that's like, uh, you, we've said, well, I've just been on a wild goose chase, right? And if you've ever had to go to maybe the DMV and you've had to have a form, right? And they say, well, no, you've got to have another form, right? Or maybe this is working with the bank or working with real estate or something like that, and you're trying to get something big done, and you, you need all these forms. They say, no, you, you need to have form A, and you have form number one. And then you go to get form A, and they say, no, you, you need to have form number one completed. Well, you know, And then it's just like you're bouncing back and forth. It's like, who, who knows what's going on? And it just seems like a wild goose chase apparently a wild goose chase has nothing to do with geese at all right uh, and you if we're asking the question what does that even mean 
Uh, I think we get it in our culture, but what does that even mean? Where did that even come from? What did, how, did, how did that originate? Apparently a wild goose chase um, was a horse race, right? Has anybody ever heard this before? It is a horse race. And so this was a race where rider number one would take off across a field on a horse, and he would have this wild pattern that he would cut across the field. And then rider number two would have to take off after rider number one and follow the pattern that rider number one then rider number three would take off and have to follow the pattern rider number four and on and on and so forth however many people you had in the horse race right and so that is where basically it originated the wild goose chase in the sense that as geese fly you have one who kind of leads the pack leads the v right and so this horse race is kind of a play off of that now I don't I, I don't really see this happening anymore, but um, it's interesting that uh, this idea is like what what does that even mean a wild goose chase right? Um, the early uh, 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 Celtic Christians they had a, a term for the Holy Spirit they called the Holy Spirit the wild goose right anybody ever heard this before and so the the early celtic christians they called the holy spirit the wild goose and this is why they called the holy spirit the wild goose in celtic tradition the holy spirit is represented not as a peaceful dove but instead as a wild goose and the wild goose reveals a spirit which is passionate noisy and courageous this symbol reminds us that god's spirit cannot be tamed nor contained right and, and and so that's kind of what we've been talking about this this wild god that we serve and this wild life that he invites us into uh that as we're following the goose right as we're following the lead of the holy spirit uh and and it may dart this way and dart that way and and sometimes it goes to places that we just we just don't understand and, and maybe we're like i don't i don't know that i would have done this right but as god's spirit leads us ultimately god's spirit leads us in the path that he wants us to go and and so it's interesting that these these early christians these uh, celtic christian this tradition uh called the holy spirit uh the wild goose they also had this tradition where they talked about thin places. Uh, and thin places were places that seemed very um, basically ordinary at first, but um, it became a place where heaven and earth really, uh, there wasn't much difference between them, right? Uh, and it was almost a place of worship where you began to worship God. And heaven came down and met earth, and almost the boundaries of heaven and earth disappeared. And that's what they said, these are thin places. That these very ordinary spaces become sacred spaces. They become places where God meets you. They become places where we begin to worship, and we can reach out and touch God and know that we've been in God's presence, right? We talked a little bit about that the very first week. And so what is worship? And this is, I'm just going to give you uh, kind of my definition of worship. Worship is where heaven and earth meet. I, I, I believe that. I believe that when we begin to worship and we begin to open up our hearts, God, God comes down. God comes down and meets with us in this space. And it becomes a place where um, it, it's not an ordinary thing. It becomes something entirely different. Right. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but you've just 
gotten caught up in that moment of worship where you know that you are in God's presence, that as you worship and you're, you're just extolling and exalting God and you're giving him praise, that you know something has changed about where you're at. It's no longer just your ordinary bedroom. It's no longer just your kitchen. It's no longer just your car. It's no longer just a parking lot. It's no longer just a church seat, right? It is a place where God has come to meet you there and the space has gotten thin. The boundaries between heaven and earth have begun to dissipate and and you don't know which is which anymore, right? And so I believe this. I believe that worship is is where heaven and earth meets. And the, the great thing about that is we can step into that on, on a lot of occasions, right? We're invited to worship God. We're invited to give God praise, right? And, and sometimes we'll say, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. You don't have to wait, really. And, and this is what theologians call the, the uh, already not yet, right? This, this kind of this idea that uh, we kind of look forward to something, and, and we're not yet there, but we can already participate in it. This is that idea, I think, this idea of these thin places that, uh, where, where God meets us. And although we're not ready in heaven, heaven has come to meet us there. And so worship becomes that place. Worship can be that place where, where heaven meets earth. And see, most of us think when we hear the word worship that um, what comes to mind, if you've got a picture in your mind, how many of you, I said the word worship, maybe you think of singing, right? Was that one of the first things that popped into your mind, right? And, and maybe not, maybe, but it might be number two on your list. And, and see, singing, yes, is a great way to worship, but singing is only one dimension of worship. Singing uh, is something we do with our voices. Worship is something we do with our hearts, right? Singing is something we do with our voices. Worship is something that we do with our heart. Um, worship has more to do with motivation than it does music, right? And so I love music. I love music. There's music in our house all the time. We sing all the time. She, she is the only one, actually, uh, her and the boys, they have really good voices, but I participate with them, right? I like to make a joyful noise. I'm like the wild goose. I am noisy, and I'm clamorous, and I'm, I'm kind of wild and crazy like that, right? So I am the goose in the house, right? The goose is loose, right? But um, I love, there's music in our house all the time. We have a piano in our house, and I'll, I'll come in, and I'll I'll hear Raina playing something, getting ready, just kind of going through some of these songs and trying to get something down maybe for a class. And so we love music, and music is, is a great way to worship. But worship is more about our motivation than, than it is about music, okay? And you can worship without music, all right? Chris Hodges, he's a pastor in Alabama, and I love, uh, I, I love to hear him speak. And this is what he says about worship. Two, things, two quotes I want to give you from Chris Hodges. And he says this. He says, worship is love expressed. He says, worship is love expressed. He also says about worship, he says that I'll never get the best of God. Uh, the, the, I'll never get the best that God has until I offer God my best, Right? I won't get God's best until I offer God my best, right? I, I, I can't hold out on God and think that I'm going to get everything that God wants and has for me if I'm only half-hearted, right? If I'm only in it for just a little bit, you have to be all in. And you have to be wide open to allow God to just really begin to pour into you. But there are different ways to worship. There, we can sing, uh, but there are people who are in Scripture who are called craftsmen. And you can worship God through the way uh, that you use your hands. 
You can worship God through the skill set that you have. These are ways that we worship God. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, uh, this is what he said. He says, the Christian shoemaker uh, does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, right? <laughs> I mean, I, th I thought, I'm like, I love that. I love that. We think that as Christians, we have to put a little cross on everything, and now it's Christianized, right? We have Christian music, right? Well, what is that? Did that song get saved, right? What is that? We have, I have a Christian t-shirt. What does that mean? Well, that shirt got saved. No. Well, what, we, we kind of take this and make it a subculture and a subcategory of all our stuff. And so, is it Christian? It seems like it's more appealing to us if it seems like it's a Christian t-shirt. But um, it, it's not so much, that's not really worship. It's when we do the things that we're called to do and we do them well. We do them with excellence. We do them in such a way that we're saying, God, thank you for giving me this opportunity, and thank you for giving me this skill, and thank you for this time that I have. And so, God, let me use it now in such a way where I can just bless who you are. And so, like Martin Luther said, if it's making shoes, it's making the best shoes you can make, right? It's because he's made good shoes that he's worshipped. It's because he's made good shoes that he has honored God, not because he's put little crosses all over his shoes. Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., this is what he said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets, even as Michelangelo painted or as Bo Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven will pause to say, here lived a street sweeper who did his job well. I love that. I love that. I love the fact that it doesn't, it's not just relegated to music. It's not just relegated to singing, right? That when we come to worship, we can come to worship and we can worship God when we're not even in church. And, and we say, well, I'm going to worship this morning, right? And, and worship is a place uh, that sometimes we think of, but this, this is a building. Actually, I begin worshiping before I even get here in the morning. I begin worshiping first thing in the morning when I get up, and, and I've told you this, one of, my, one of my routines is to get up in the morning, and I've got these big windows out in the back of my house, and I just look up, and I just begin to thank God. God, thank you this morning for what you've done in my life. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my sons. Thank you for the opportunities that I have. I just begin to worship that way. Right, And as there's no song, there's no music playing, it's dead silent in the house because if I played anything, I would wake them up and they'd want to kill me, right? But, but it's just me and just, it's just me and God and it's, it's my heart that I want to be directed in my mind, that I want to be directed to the God of all creation. And so worship is a response. Worship is our response. It is an outward response of an inward reality. That's what worship is. It's an outward response of, a, of something that's already going on inside. That's what worship is, is we begin to act on what God is doing on the inside. We begin to act on that, and it comes out in a lot of different ways. Me and Pastor Trent did a series a few years ago called Expressions, and we talked about the different 
uh, ideas of worship and the different Hebrew words uh, for worship. And I think, Pastor Trent, there were like seven, seven or eight Hebrew words for worship, you know, and it was Shabbat and Zamzar and uh, Halal. Uh, and these words, Halal, is, is a word that we get, Hallelujah. And uh, so all these things, all these connections that we have. And so I, I don't want to rehearse that uh, today, but there's ways that when we worship it, that we respond. Worship is a response, is an outward response of an inward reality. So I want us to go to John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read this story, and we've, we've read this story before. This one's probably not new to you. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and this is what it says. And now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. I just question that. I put a question mark. Did he actually have to pass through Samaria? Or did he choose to pass through Samaria? Right? Maybe he had to pass through Samaria because, you know what? I have business that I have to attend to. Maybe not everybody else knew Jesus' business. They, they thought, why are we going through Samaria? We usually go around Samaria. Right? We try to avoid Samaria. Right? But Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, uh, wearied from, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. It was about lunchtime, about noon, right? And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask Asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, right? Because they didn't, they didn't mix, right? They didn't, um, they they did not, uh, they weren't really friends, and and so Samaritans were looked at as being kind of a um, this cross cultural type type uh, people, and so. Jews didn't mix with them. They didn't mix with the Jews, and so there was there was some animosity there. And uh, and she's she's like, why are you talking to me? How is it that you, a Jew, is a- are asking me, a woman of Samaria, for water? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And this is exactly why I think it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave, this, uh, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw this water. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Boom. What if Jesus did that to you? (laughs) You're right. Let me just call out your sin real quick. And Jesus didn't do this to set her up to be embarrassed. 
Jesus didn't do this so that he could say, look what you've done. Look how bad you are. Jesus was actually confronting all these places in us. This is what Jesus said. He confronts these places in us because he wants to give us what's true so that we stop living what's fake. Right? And so, so he confronts this, this thing in her. And, and, it says, and she says, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, which is an understatement. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, and this, uh, the hour has come when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what uh, we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And and so it's interesting to me that Jesus says what he says to her. He says, listen, he says, the the time is coming when you're not going to worship here or we're not going to worship in Jerusalem, but we're going to worship in spirit and truth. And that's what God really wants. He's seeking for people to worship him in spirit and truth. And and so if he's seeking for that, that must mean that there are people who can worship um, in ways that are not in truth or in the spirit. And so what is that? And this is just my take on that. My take is this, is that everybody worships something or someone, right? Everybody worships something or someone. If Jesus isn't at the center of my worship, then there's a good chance I am. If Jesus is not the center of my worship, then it probably means that I'm the center of my worship. What do you, what do you mean, Pastor Ryan? I, I'm not, I don't worship myself. I don't pray to myself. No, but we do the things that we like. We go to the places that we like. We spend our money on the things that we like, right? We do what we like because we like us. We like me, right? I like me. I like Ryan a lot, and I I will spend my money, I will spend my time, I will spend my effort on Ryan. And there are times that I have to come to the realization that I have made myself the center and the focus. There have been times I've done that in my worship time. Just because I have, I like what I like, and and maybe um, I'm not so much focused on God. I just I just like something that I like, right? And sometimes my worship becomes about me. Sometimes our worship in church can become the worship wars. Well, I don't like that song. I don't like the way they play that song. I don't like the music that they're playing. I don't like the instrument that they're playing. I don't like that they don't have a certain instrument, right? I don't I don't like that they do this. I don't like and, and so when we get to that point, we have to ask ourselves, who are we really worshiping at that point? Are, are we worshiping Jesus or are we worshiping us? And, 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 and so for me, I know what that looks like for me is we're all going to worship something or someone. And if Jesus is not my center of my focus, it's probably a good chance that I'm the center of my focus. See, the way that we worship can reveal what's really true in us. Um, there is a word in the Greek that's used here for worship. It's uh, the word proskuneo. And this word proskuneo is what gets, it's a Greek word that gets translated worship. And it means to kiss, right? And you say, well, okay, that's kind of woo, right? 
Uh, husbands, if you want to lean over to your wife and just go, proskuneo, right? You know, it'll be all right, all right? Don't lean over to anybody else's wife and do that. You're going to get punched, right? So uh, this word proskuneo means to kiss, as in to kiss the hand of a superior, right? So now it takes on a different meaning. And now she's thinking, what, you want me to kiss your hand because you think you're better than me? Uh, so I just got you in a mess, all right? But it's, it's commonly associated with bowing down or lying prostrate on the ground, or the idea of kissing the ground before someone, this idea that you're reverencing someone. And it, some scholars believe that this word is actually derived from the idea of a dog licking its master's hand, right? And uh, now I really got you in trouble if you've leaned over and said that. We've got a dog. Our dog is Pepper, and Pepper is crazy, right? Uh, she's about that big, and she is a terror to anyone who is not part of our family. She loves our family. She hates everybody else. So if you come to my house, it's nothing personal. She just hates everybody else. That's not the Ogdens, okay? Um, and so my dog, though, she will come up, and God bless her. Um, she's annoying sometimes, right? But uh, she loves us, and she will come up, and she will want to jump in your lap she'll want to come up she, if you got your feet dangling off the couch she'll come up and just start licking your toe you know <laughs> it's like stop it that's gross right but she loves us and there are times when you know we have to put her up we either put her, put her in the laundry room when we go and and we come back and and you can hear her when we open the door she knows that we're there she's she's just ready she's ready to to run out and and come see us and and just play and she's she loves us, right? And, and I, thought, I think about that as, as annoying as she is to me sometimes. I think, am I like that with God? You know? Does God get annoyed with me? I'm sure he does, right? <laughs> but am I like that with God that, that I, I, when God shows up that I'm just like, God, you're here. You're here. Let's, let's go play. Let's go do something. Let's, God, I, I'm so glad that you're here. Am I like that? Because that's what that Greek word means. And that's what Jesus says is that when that's the kind of worshiper that God is looking for, for the kind of worshiper that is anticipating the arrival of the king, the kind of worshiper that is anticipating the thin place where heaven meets earth and you can't figure out what's the boundaries anymore and you know that you're in the presence of God and that when we see that, we're just like, God, I'm so thankful for this. I'm so grateful for you, right? Is that us? I'm going to ask somebody to come play. There's a story um, about an emperor who didn't have any heirs and so he was getting older and he knew that he was going to die and um, he had to leave his kingdom uh, to someone else and so he wanted to uh, adopt a child to become his heir to his throne and so this this emperor he he says I'm going to do this contest and uh, I want uh, all the kids uh, from the kingdom who are interested in being uh, my adopted child to come and and so they all gather at the, point, at the appointed time in the king's court. He comes out, and he says, listen, he says, I have a seed. I have seeds for every one of you. And he says, I'm going to give you this seed, and I want you to go take this seed, and I want you to go plant it, right? And I want you to grow that seed, and you're going to bring me back in a certain number of months uh, this, this plant that, that you've grown, and I'm going to pick the, the one, the best one, to be my heir from from." This, this group of people that's growing these seeds, right? And so this one little boy named Lynn, 
he takes uh, this seed and he goes and plants it in his pot. And, and he has, he's, he's really good with, with plants, right? He's got a green thumb and he is trying to cultivate this thing. And he cannot get anything to grow. He just, he's looking at all the other kids, you know, he's just, he's like, man, they, they've got stuff growing like trees and, and flowers and what's, what's going on? I've got an empty, my, my pot, there's nothing in it but dirt and this seed and nothing is happening. And he's so frustrated. And all these months go by and all these kids that he sees, they're, they're kind of snickering when they see him coming because they see, you know what, he's got an empty pot. And so the day comes when all the kids have to bring their pots back to the emperor and all these students show up all these kids show up and they have all these beautiful flowers and these these plants and these bushes and they're standing there and there's Lynn with his pot of dirt with nothing else and the emperor comes by and he's looking at all these beautiful flowers these plants and he gets to Lynn and he looks at Lynn, he says, where's your plant? He said, I tried. I, this is all I have. I'm sorry. And he takes Lynn and he pulls him up front. And he says, this will be my heir. It's like, because the seed that I gave every one of you was boiled. And so it was basically a dead seed. And so every one of you that brought me something other than an empty pot, you're faking it. It's false. This is the only one who brought the truth. Lynn is the only one who was honest about what he brought, his empty pot. And I will fill it now. Right? And so for us, and I thought about that, and I thought there's times for us that, you know, we try to fake it. Fake it till you make it, right? That's what we've been told think there are times we just have to be honest. God, I, I've got an empty pot. I feel like maybe I'm a cracked pot, right? And I'm losing everything. I feel like I'm, I'm just in a bad spot. I feel like, God, I, I'm, not, I'm not measuring up. And all these other people, they, they're having all these great experiences. And God, I, God says, I want you to come to me. I'm looking for those who will worship me in spirit and in truth fake it. You can be honest, whether it's with your joy, with your tears, with your broken heart, whatever that is, Lord, we bring it to you now. Fill that empty pot that we have. Stand with me this morning. You've heard me say this before. Worship transforms all of our empty places into divine spaces. Worship transforms all of our empty places into divine spaces. It's that place where we come and it just seems like it's very ordinary and it's, there's not much there. Maybe it's that empty pot. But God says, if, 